Is that what that's from? Is that like a telegraph noise? Like what is the beep? What is that? I think just Bob Hope, uh, his his refrigerator was always running and it would make those noises <laughs> in the background. He just had a really, yeah. really obnoxious uh, machinery that would go on. I, I don't. I, yeah. I, I assume it was. I don't know. I'm stupid. Gabe, you're the oldest person among us. Can you can you endow us with some When I was little, uh, the the stand up specials would be would be uh, sent over telegraph wire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the sound of the clicking. <laughs> the- Dude, I I I love that. I love that shit. I love weird onomatopoeia shit that where people have zero idea where it came from. My one of my favorite ones is uh oh, and the crowd goes wild. <sighs> I love it when people do that thing. Uh, you know where that comes from. Yeah, but it's like a thing that people unanimously all, they're all like, yeah. Yeah, you know, when the crowd goes wild. You know, and then the beep, 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 beep thing. Uh, I'm trying to think of another one. I'll probably think of more as the episode goes on. But you know where the, both of those come from. Well, well, we. I think the beep, beep, beep is, the, is like the noise from, you know, CBS News. Uh, central broadcasting system this isn't like yeah i don't know i mean this isn't like something that's this isn't like the navajo language during world war ii this isn't like an incredibly esoteric puzzle to be solved that like <laughs> that like it's like something <laughs> like, yeah, allied forces only know what beep 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 means that way the nazis can figure it out <laughs> no that's what they were code breaking <laughs> that's yeah. what they were code breaking <laughs> for uh for the for that that you know that biopic about um the guy who made up the Alan Turing. <laughs> That's what they were doing. Yeah, they're just going beep, beep, we got to decode. <laughs> we got to decode. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> they're like, "That's just Roadrunner sounds." Yeah. Those <laughs> <laughs> some Nazis just like, "But what does meep meep mean?" <laughs> yeah. What does meep meep mean? Does meep, I know. Meep, I know. Meep in what, Northern France. I know what we will do. We will paint a we will paint a tunnel on one side of a rock wall, and then the <laughs> Americans will try to enter the tunnel. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's cool. Well, welcome. Uh, that Pond. literally yeah. sounds like one of the last pitches that Hitler heard in the bunker while he yeah. was addled on uh, weird anim- animal growth hormone steroids just, and oh, yeah. popping yeah, just, amphetamines. Yeah, just absolutely zooted out. Like, no, 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 you guys, I got it, I got it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that sounds good. Uh, that sounds good. I don't know. I was just trying to think of like funny movies uh, that Hitler would just try and be like taking, uh, that he would just be like taking pleasure from in, in order to, or just like t- taking ideas from. Like he's just like like just like watching Charlie Chaplin movies. Or something like, that. okay, so we'll jump on top of a train and then we'll uh, umbrella off. Everyone uses their umbrellas yeah. to fly. And then from there, we will uh, we'll kill the Americans uh, because they don't have the umbrellas that we have. We'll have special uh, umbrellas. You, yeah, yeah, we'll all have umbrellas and then we'll all have like eight children and be kind of uh, excessively horny, which Charlie Chaplin was. Did oh. you know that? I knew I liked him. <laughs> I knew I liked him for some reason. <laughs> he was fit. That's something people don't re- remember or recognize. He was mm. he was de- he was cut. He was lean. He spent every day in the gym. Can you imagine Which, just Charlie Chaplin just working out with Kevin Hart? You know, in the gym. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna Chaplin hustle were- hard. We're hustling hard. <laughs> We're hustling hard. <laughs> yeah, and he's just sort of like. <laughs> no, it's just like live- Chaplin had a had a hardcore rise and grind mentality, dude. You know, yeah. You, d- yeah, you don't see it because he put the grease paint on and wore baggy clothes, but he was a workhorse. Yeah, yeah that's I I have a I have a, a fondness for Buster Keaton because apparently he had a terrible voice. If we're talking about silent film artists, uh, film film artists, is that why he did silent film? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, yes, David, and also uh, no sound was invented quite yet. So, uh, yeah, clever, uh, yeah, clever excuse. But yeah, they yeah, hated yeah, yeah. it when he smiled. That's why he uh, he he only worked when he put no expression on his face. Are you talking about Charlie and these or guys, Buster. Buster. 
Mm. Dude, these guys are the best because they're just literally jackass, but the other turn, but like in the nineteen, the nineteen tens, they're like. Hi, my name is Charlie Chaplin, and this is me stopping a train, but not getting crushed by it. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of like, uh, what's that guy uh, where he just like beats up his dad all the time? Uh, what, what, uh, oh, Bam Margera. Yeah, Bam Margera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's always Bam Margera, up his dad. and I'm throwing my dad in front of a train. <laughs> <laughs> oh come on bam oh <laughs> uh, that's good i like that this is pon- this is this is ponzi scream my name's dave what's up this is ponzi scream my name is gabe oh geez this is the ps and uh, uh my name's danny and i booked a round trip non-stop flight from seattle to new york for two hundred dollars oh. that's something Big man. That's great. When are you going to go? <laughs> uh, October 19th to October 29th. Did we buy face shields for this? Are we wearing uh, dental hygienist masks on the plane? I don't know what plane policy is, or at least JetBlue policy. I feel like JetBlue is probably going to be pretty good. They're like one of the better ones. Um, but like... Yeah, I mean, I assume I see I've seen pictures of people going on planes or friends who are like, they all right, they're just making us wear masks, and I think I think that's what it is, you but, know. But what what but personal responsibility is what it's all about, Danny. What are you <laughs> doing personally? Are you are we doing some World War Z type stuff where you're wrapping phone books around your wrists and arms <laughs> with duct tape <laughs> so that the zombies can't bite you there? Are we doing uh, goggles? Are we wearing rec specs? Ooh, personally, personally, what I will be doing is what I always do, which is um, shame anybody who takes their shoes off and uh, shoot just absolute icy daggers towards any children on the flight. I've I've got it right here. I've got, dude, I've got my my global entry, my global entry pass here. This is like, this is like, um, uh, TSA pre, but for the fucking world, that's how fucking much I have economized my 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 flight uh, habits. I I don't wait in lines, dude. I'm not a fucking I'm not a uh, I'm not a punk. I don't wait in lines. I don't I don't do that shit. I'm I'm not like how other people fly. All right, I'm business I'm you. business about it. Uh, I don't I I'm in I'm in, I'm in coach I'm you. in coach with the rest of the rabble. But like those people who are like they got like. They're all, they look like they just woke up from their fucking four-day adventure in Las Vegas, and they look like absolute shit. Like, no, that's not my deal. I, I get to the I get to the, to the security go- place. I say, pat me down. I'm not going through that thing. And then I, I get there, and when they start doing the boarding sections, I say, I, I don't stand in that line. No. I, unless it's, um, unless it's uh, the, the one where you have to stand in line in order to get a good seat because it's open seating. But I, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. I don't wait in lines. I hear you. You remind me of my uh, my favorite uh, rapper, R.I.P. Big L. He had one line: uh, "I don't bring luggage. I go shopping when the plane lands." That's how I imagine you travel. <laughs> that Just is like that's such perfect. a good line. That's, that's so, so perfect. Good. That's I I love that. Yeah, duty free. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's so beautiful. Um, and please don't. Stay away from us, please. Just, <laughs> just don't. <laughs> don't look. I, I, I have, I have remained the dirtiest person throughout the podcast, throughout, throughout all of this. I, I, I have never not been in outside. <laughs> I've, I've tried to be careful, but I am absolutely the the curly of 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 the podcast at this point. I mean, you're ju- you're just standing in Penn Station during the daytime. Like uh, Bruce Willis in Unbreakable, with your hands outstretched, like, "Hey, yeah, coronavirus, yeah. <laughs> come to me!" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, whereas I've been a pretty clean boy. Yeah, Gabe, you've been very clean. I've and done, David. Yeah, I'm somewhere in the middle. David's a David's a I'm, little I'm, little I'm, mix. I'm gray. I'm like a little. You don't know where. You don't know which side I'm on. You know, am I on the side of coronavirus, like Danny? Who's pro coronavirus? Who supports the virus? <laughs> or, or Gabe, who's anti-va, anti 
the virus. That's and right. That's right. I'm, you wouldn't catch me at the uh, Sturgis uh, motorcycle rally. Mm-mm. Oh my God! That <laughs> I love the reports coming out of that. That's hilarious. Right, uh, like uh, possibly 125,000 Americans infected by uh, I mean, the virus after that event. <laughs> that's you epic. know, I, I will, I will say though, it is it is very funny to uh, think of it from a scientific standpoint and just be like, okay, what happens when you don't give a fuck at all? Like how many people get infected if you if not only you're not giving a fuck but you're act you're actively trying to like almost infect yourself with somebody else you know you're like all right there it is there's the numbers right there <laughs> yeah dude I feel like coronavirus heard about uh, about the Sturgis motorcycle festival and just started dancing to Daft Punk's work it <laughs> like yes. <laughs> faster yes, harder absolutely. stronger just yeah dude uh did you guys see that that article that i sent you guys from mining.com oh uh yeah <laughs> i love it when you send me uh like geologically uh geological news that's my jam <laughs> dude uh sexy ass diamonds am i right look at those look at those boys yeah they're those... straight out of uncut gems yeah no, those things. Wait, are, let me pull up this the article. That, I, I, the one that's, that's cut like a heart, I'm pretty sure is cut. That one looks like that didn't just come out of the earth, shaped like a, like Cupid's ass, you know. Oh my God! Look at these. See how what is it? Uh, what was the term for this? It was like a a pink, uh, pink argyle. Pink? Yeah, argyle pink diamonds tender. Yeah, I don't understand this- the na- the the naming of that because that sounds like. Four words that don't make sense together. Argyle, yeah, yeah. Pink diamonds tender. I think a ten- tender is like a vein. It's like <laughs> you you strike a tender vein, and that's where yeah. uh, that's where you find those little gems. Yeah, during the during the COVID nineteen restrictions, the tender was virtually oh, was held virtually. A tender. It's like an tender. Option. It's like an maybe tender. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I certainly oh feel gosh. tender after I see some of those those pretty crystals. I uh <laughs> I love the idea of any kind of tender or auction where it's held in real life at like Sotheby's or something like that and then there's like a bunch of like hoity-toity types waiting in line but then also in line is like a guy with like a striped shirt and like a fucking domino mask on just like I <laughs> 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 will I will get these gems. <laughs> So uh, I love diamonds, uh, everything about them, the bloodier, the better, a uh, huge fan of just the fact that it's a completely uh, artificially inflated um, commodity, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like lilies in Holland or whatever, or tulips, oh, yeah. just some, yes. yeah, it, they only matter because the De Beers company has a lock on how many get distributed into Gabe, the world. Gabe, you're never going to get married with that attitude. I love how American women love and men. Everybody just loves uh, getting diamonds to prove that they love someone, even though that's a totally new concept. You know, it's only like 150 years old that anybody's uh, considered uh, rocking a a gem on their finger. A rock to prove monogamy. Rocking a rock. Yeah, dude. All these losers, they all want the big diamonds. Look, I like diamonds, but I like them for practical applications. Look, put a diamond on the end of a cutting bit so I can get, yeah, I can like fucking like, uh, you know, make a make a nice sculpture. Uh, put it on some sandpaper so it can, <laughs> it can blast through some steel. That's you know what, what I'm I mean? talking about, okay, man. I want, yeah. I want, I, want, I want a diamond on the end of a spoon. That way it can cut right into ice cream. Without having to worry about it, <laughs> real just straight through, really a hard diamond spoon. Yeah. Let, <laughs> hey, fellas, ladies, you ever have this problem? You're trying to tuck right into that Hagen Dazs pint, but it's too cold, and or, your spoon yeah. bends. <laughs> There's got to be a better way, and now there is. Yeah. De Beers providing new diamond tip spoons to help shovel <laughs> yeah. in that rocky road faster. You ever trying to cut through a fresh sourdough loaf and it's just too slippery? Well, now we got serrated <laughs> knives with diamonds on the ends. There's some uh, big news out of the mining sector this week. Uh, Rio Tinto, which is a big boy di- uh, 
international mining company, mining firm. They uh they gotten a little bit of a they've gotten in some trouble recently. They've a gotten kerfuffle. In, mm-hmm. A bit of a kerfuffle. You could say that they've been destroying uh human civilization. And you, like that's the fun thing about this story is that they actually are very very directly destroying human civilization. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> there are a few different situations that have happened in Australia and in Mongolia. First, it looks like uh, in Australia, there was a huge blast, okay, that happened in this uh, Aboriginal heritage site, okay, on the. Uh. What ended up happening was there's this part of Australia uh, called the Jukun Gorge. Okay, and the Jukun Gorge, there was a, a a destruction. There was kind of a blasting that took place in order to get some some copper, I think it was. And hell yeah, right. for for pennies, perfect, and wiring, nice for yes. six pennies. And this is going to become. We'll we'll, t- we'll talk about this in a sec, but copper is going to become a much bigger deal when we get more into renewable energy. And so all this stuff is just kind of being incentivized more and more. So. And they were, uh, looks like, what they ended up destroying accidentally or not, we don't know. Uh, I don't know why it sounded so ominous there. Uh, they, they, like, they destroyed a 46,000-year-old Aboriginal heritage site. Nice, uh, dude. Pave paradise and put in a parking lot. So how old was it? 46 thousand year old years old that's yeah uh, dude that's older than 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 bernie sanders am i right folks oh my god that's older than my ex-wife dude Dude. (laughs) (laughs) oh my borscht belt boys (laughs) (laughs) that aboriginal uh cave uh sat next to jesus in the third grade nice and uh, not not only that, but I kn- I'm familiar with this site a little bit because I watched this great PBS documentary called First Peoples, and the site w- has been continuously uh, inhabited for forty six thousand years. Really? So that means mm. there's always uh, Aboriginal elders who go there and and pass on through oral tradition um, what's like the history of that site from person to person to person. So this really is a, a, a direct link to how we existed pre-modernity, uh, whatever this illusion of modernity is. Um, and so, you know, wow. it really is like, uh, it, it's like throwing uh, an external hard drive with all of our collective history into just a saltwater bath. This is, uh, it's very, it's funny you should say that, uh, Gabe, because... <laughs> One of the the way this the way this article is set up from the BBC, it shows the information of this, but then there's the links that you see in any normal article, and one of them is just says a uh, mining firm sorry for destroying Aboriginal caves. <laughs> like they're just like I'm sorry. I mean I'm it's sorry. it's a crime against uh, it's a crime against all of humanity. It's not just um uh, uh, an incursion onto the land and an inconvenient. Uh, disruption of aboriginal life this is this is probably the oldest um human settlement Mm -hmm. uh that we and and just completely uh i don't know i mean it'd be like sites in australia wow it'd be like pissing all over the dead sea scrolls or something and then yeah yeah you know it's it is uh this is a monumental uh loss to humanity uh and the Aborigines, though, could have uh, could have saved it if they had just erected a Confederate statue uh, on top of it, <laughs> and then yeah. uh, then a bunch of proud boys and uh, promise keepers would have shown up with AR-15s and protected the site from this uh, mining company. Oh, to clarify, it was uh. iron ore, not copper ore. Iron ore, yeah, and Gabe, come on. There was seventy-five million dollars of high-grade iron ore, but below those caves, and we needed a man. Give me that iron. It's impossible come on. to find iron anywhere else besides underneath Aboriginal sites. The, there's a, a very well-known yeah. uh, stereotype. It's that um, 
is that Aboriginal people uh, are just constantly hoarding iron ore, and they're using their cultural sites as as cultural shields against the mining. So it's I really mean, their, <laughs> it's really their fault for for having these sorts of things. It's a really a disgusting use of of these sorts of sites as shields. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it would be like uh, ex- it, it'd be like digging directly underneath the Parthenon in Greece. Yeah, for uh, for copper. Can you imagine that? Like, I mean, this is for what I'm reminded of is like the blast in Pompeii. You know, like the guy jerking off from the blast in yeah, Pompeii, yeah. and then them just yeah, destroying that, that dude's house just so they can find some some iron ore. It's fucked up. That's a hot area for timeshares. Pompeii. I mean, I think it's still it's still probably a great vacation spot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so they. Uh, what I thought was really bad uh, in this BBC article, they call. Um, I just think this is bad language. I'm not happy about it. They called it lo- that the representative of the firm uh, said that losing the site was quote a devastating blow. Bad. <laughs> Bad pun. I, I'm not. That's not funny. That's not. Oh God. Oh, I know what you're talking about now. <laughs> oh, I didn't pick up on that. <laughs> not, that's not cool. I don't like that. I'm not. Ha- I, I'm just that. That that actually kind of makes me furious. Is it's that's a real insult to injury. Uh, why would you think that that's funny? Or like, why would they? I don't know. Do you guys think that they were being intentional about about using that that sort of punny language? No, 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 no. But it was definitely that's literally like one inch above just being like, "My bad." Like it, it, it almost would have been more respectful for them to be like, "My bad." Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, at least we're at the end of history, so we really don't have to learn anything about the past because the free market is is the logical conclusion of all human. Uh, uh, striving for progress oh yes and oh, civilization yeah. so who who cares who cares about the caves i wonder what uh francis fukuyama would think of these destructions of these of these caves <laughs> i don't know it, it kind of makes me think about the distant future though like what if like in like fifty thousand years um there were there's like a whole nother society that's like uh you know excavating or or has evolved and now they breathe carbon dioxide instead of oxygen you know because the like the earth is like venus now and they like they're digging they're digging and digging and digging and then they find like an ancient artifact and they're like don't you have to preserve it you have to preserve it and it's just a cheesecake factory from like now (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, maybe, who knows? Maybe those caves were their cheesecake factory back in the day, you know? Well, but they were used continuously for for nice things, right? Like, the, the, like a cheesecake factory, David. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good point. If you if you if you revere cheesecake factories such that you teach your like forty six thousands worth of generations it, it, uh, about it every year, uh, it is exactly like that specific cheesecake factory. That's that's their that's their slogan. Cheesecake Factory used continuously for nice things. <laughs> uh, so apparently, after this happened, they uh, Rio Tinto they had already they had hired a high powered law firm to fight any potential legal challenges from uh, the groups that I'm I'm totally gonna mess up their name Kutu Kuntu Kurama and Pinikura people. Uh, that was to to try and. Basically, they're trying to. They already hired law firms to stop, uh, to like to uh to meet legal challenges to stop this blast. Uh, they were meeting minutes from a discussion between high-level staff on May twenty-first. Uh, basically, there's this internal document that the Sydney Morning Herald got that showed that there was an ongoing parliamentary inquiry into the destruction of the heritage site. Uh, and this this document shows that the company was willing to fight. Any injunction attempt from uh, the, I assume the PKKP is the parliament to stop the blast, or from no, from the people. Sorry, the PKKP sure. are the name of the people uh, who the Aboriginal folks, and oftentimes punishments or legal battles or publicity statements are just a cost of doing business for mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. of corporate America and for you know internet for just for just just capital in general. Uh, internationally or domestically, and they just need to hire a law firm 
and get a PR team ready to apologize and pay some nominal fee compared to their annual revenues, and then they can just do whatever the hell they want, including destroying human civilization itself. Was was part of it uh, the fact that they were in the midst of talking about it, and then they already started uh, blowing shit up? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not... <laughs> Uh, I think that they were, yeah, they were, they were trying to prevent it from happening. It looks like the company was comfortable with the gag clauses outlined in the participation agreements uh, with the with the Aboriginal people, and would respond to the media if the group sp- spoke publicly about about the rock shelter issue. Um, mm. I think that they were negotiating it, and but the thing is, is that this teleconference took place the first day a member of the Rio Tinto's Iron Ore uh, boss Chris Salisbury was made aware of the his- heritage significance of the site, but already after the explosives had been installed. Okay, uh, so they okay. had ins- so okay. the order of events okay. was uh, they w- had installed the explosives, and then the head of the operation found out about it of its cultural cultural significance, and then they were meeting with lawyers. Uh, Okay, interesting. He was asking about the head of it, this guy Salisbury, was asking about mitigation measures to protect the heritage sites and requested that there be a review of the company's systems to identify additional concerns. Uh, And then the conversation turned to whether they were legally vulnerable, basically. So there's this Australian act called the Aboriginal Heritage Act, Section 18, uh, that gave approval to cover the blast. And then again, they had hired a commercial law firm, Ashurst, Ashurst, ugh, gross name, uh, to prepare for any potential <laughs> injunction from uh, the from the Aboriginal group. And so basically, they did their due diligence, and this memo kind of revealed that they knew exactly what they were doing, and getting ready to just kind of like deflect any sort of uh, you know potential litigations or injunctions. To injunction is just the court legally telling someone that they have to stop doing something. Right. Yeah. But it's always great to ask for permission after you do something. And uh, and then also, if you are going to irreparably, 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 irreparably. Yeah. If you're going to irreparably harm someone, uh, then you might as well do it because they can't complain once their their object is destroyed. There's no rest. There's no real coming back from it. Yep. Yep. That's why, like. You know, police officers are trained to shoot to kill because it's better to have a dead person and their family mm-hmm. have a lawsuit against you than have a living witness. The living witness is more damning. Yeah. Right. The, Jacob, Blake, Jacob Blake being alive is a huge uh, thing that the police are not happy about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They love shoot to kill. And in the same way, you know, I feel like a corporation... That it's it's better to just blow up the site completely and then say my bad because the fact that you know and 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 I feel like that's kind of we're having a similar thing with Dalpa here in the U.S. with Dalpa. Uh, with um the uh, water protectors and oh, yeah. the pipelines mm-hmm. yeah and also just because something is legally permissible or something will just cost a certain amount of money but is ultimately not bankrupting does not mean that it should be done. Like, this is... This is an irreparable loss. A permanent right, like, loss. That they, like, they, CEOs it, should be killed. But they're not yes. going to be because it's seen as just a financial issue rather right. than mm-hmm. a, uh, uh, a violation of, like, our universal human rights or whatever. This is a crime against humanity. Right. So the blast happened on May 24th and May 25th, and the people released a statement, the Aboriginal people released a statement slamming Rio Tinto for proceeding with uh, the blast despite knowing of the site's cultural heritage value. Then there was a parliamentary, yeah. Australian parliamentary inquiry uh, that recently uh, has shown a spotlight on these gag clauses in land use agreements between miners and traditional owners that stop them from publicly opposing mining activity. So it's become a really uh, a huge deal mm-hmm. that to allow for miners to operate on some land that might be owned by an indig- by indigenous folks, you know, that might be a little bit of extra money that they can get. 
but ultimately it's a coercive relationship because if you allow them to do even something that is considered safe and might actually make you a little bit of money, they will, uh, you know, it's a give a mouse, it's a give a mouse a cookie sort of situation and they will uh, take so much more than what the terms of your original relationship would be and then they will pay it off afterwards, uh, perhaps, uh, but but in a way that will cause irreparable harm, just an absolute an absolute tragedy, a travesty, uh, really really terrible. And you said, uh, Gabe, that the uh, people will uh, that the, the CEOs are not going to get killed. Uh, the Rio Tinto bosses lost their annual bonuses. Over the Sad. Aboriginal oh. Sad. Really, really. They still got their base pay and they still have uh, all their benefits. And their limbs. Yeah. Yeah. And they uh, might get a double bonus next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, dude, that's, the, that's something those higher-ups love is being like, don't worry, you guys. We're not doing it this year. And then just the following year, just like, yeah, buddy, we're giving you a fucking yacht next year. So if you guys think that the world of like, 401ks and like retirements and all that sort of stuff is really complicated. One of the weirdest and most complicated areas of law is executive compensation law, which is there are yeah. specific rules about how much an executive can be rewarded. They're, they're very, very, very lax uh, in the United States, but there are some, and they are some of the most uh, just convoluted uh, rules that I'd ever, ever, ever looked at. And it's all just for the purpose of uh, tax deferment and also just to do exactly what you guys are saying, which is to say, okay, I'm not going to get my bonus this year, but I'll just get a bigger bonus next year. And at the end of the day, these people are just paid so handsomely and are already so insanely wealthy that um, it it really, really, really means nothing. Uh, Rio Tinto's chief executive, Jean-Sebastien Jacques, will lose 2.7 million pounds. Okay? Uh, oh, big, big fat boy. Chris Salisbury, the chi- he was the head of the I- Iron Ore project, I think, and S- uh, Simone Neven was the group executive of corporate relations. Will lose more than half a million pounds each, and the, all three of them will remain in their roles. And does that money go towards a fine or to restitution, or does it just kind of go back into the pool of profits that this company is making, which then? goes on to its uh, investors anyway. Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it, it's not as though the company, it's the corporation itself is not um, losing any money in this. In fact, they're just redistributing the, the capital that they would have accrued to different, um, uh, what is it, interested somewhere parties. Else. Yeah, yeah, it'll just go somewhere else. And, I mean, the, the, so basically they did not get their annual bonus, and then there is uh, a little bit of contrition publicly. We will implement new measures and governance to ensure we do not repeat what happened at Jukon Gorge, and we will continue to our work to rebuild trust with uh, the Aboriginal folks, uh, said Mr. Thompson. They- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to laugh. I had to laugh. It's like, we blew up the pyramids, but Egypt, <laughs> trust us. We're going to really... Yeah, yeah. We're gonna build. We're gonna build up trust again with you guys. Sorry about what happened in Giza. Yeah, we blew up the pyramids. Don't worry, we won't blow up any more pyramids. <laughs> it's no problem. Absolutely. Yeah. So they uh they clearly you know are really suffering right now. So uh, shouts out to the the executives of Rio Tinto. I feel for you guys. You're not gonna get your fourth helicopter for your for your grandchild uh, this year. And it sucks. Uh, uh, that that's probably the biggest loser, you know, is that is that is that granddaughter who didn't get her fourth helicopter. Um, the and the thing is about Rio Tinto is that they have had a few other uh, situations like this before. This just this just happened. Really? <laughs> uh, <laughs> there was uh, the SEC in the U.S. is it, uh, examining claims from a whistleblower that Rio Tinto was aware of problems at its underground copper mine in Mongolia months there before the miner confirmed the project would face delays and higher costs. But the, uh, <laughs> there's been, they've done these sorts of things 
before because there's some issues with you know ground instability and look mining is an expense is like a is, is is something that really has to deal with all these sorts of I don't know mining issues there's geological issues and now there's these uh, you know cultural heritage issues and they're really just uh, all the different research that they have to do uh, is really causing all sorts of delays so they're, they're seeing all these sorts of pressures from shareholders on making sure that they get these projects done in time and if they don't then a whistleblower is going to report them to the SEC for delaying this project right like so it, it's I guess I guess the way of looking at this Australia situation is that there is th- this was not done in a vacuum and when you look at the mm-hmm. horse blinders of these CEOs who are like we are going to face a, a, uh, an inquiry from you know business regulators you know like the SEC if we do not act fast enough then uh, of course you know th- that that's all they're going to be thinking about oh man that's like Man, I've never even, I mean, I, I maybe I've thought of this in the past, but like I haven't even thought of like a reverse whistleblower, if that's what you're talking about, right? Like a person who is like a whistleblower, but for financial interests. So a person who's like, you're not destroying stuff fast enough. You need to do this quicker so we can actually make money because of fiduciary duty stuff. Is that what you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. That's insane! Oh my god! Well, it's because they don't factor in the cost of uh, that. That the cultural aspect isn't factored in. It's not put yeah. into the calculus. It's in the same way that if water is free, then the cost of water um, and the pollution put into the water isn't factored in when it comes to making profits for an industrial site. Or yeah. if air doesn't have a cost because it's a common, it then they don't factor in uh, carbon emissions. Right. So we're not factoring in that this is uh, unprotected, sacred, uh, aboriginal land, or that it's a world heritage site that was more valuable as a jewel to Australia than this ore. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, yeah, it, it's weird because on one hand, it is what you're. It, it, on one hand, it is like a, a a sacred cultural site in Australia, and on the other hand, it's just precious metals in the earth. So, so it's like you've got this this dual one two uh, uh, of of it's like no, we can't. Yeah, it's like don't destroy this because there's literally nothing else like it. And then it's like you're not. You're not working fast enough to get the copper out of the deadly mine. Work faster, you peon. Like that's ugh, ugh. <laughs> well, so you gross. know, maybe they'll find a, a tender vein of cobalt underneath uh, Jerusalem, or uh, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like that's the only time. That's the only way we're we're gonna see a change in this type of uh, uh, system. Where we start actually, considering culture. That's actually, you know what that that that's that comes closer to home than than you even think, uh, Gabe. I I'm looking at a map right now, um, and um, you know how in the Battery Park there's uh, Fort Clinton. You know what that is? That national monument down there. Yeah, yeah, it's a really old piece of architecture, and like it's a literal fort from like you know Netherlands days in New York City. Word and. Uh, Back in the 1940s and 30s, Robert Moses basically tried to demolish it so he could make a battery bridge. Uh-huh. And the only the, there was supposed to be there was supposed to be an additional bridge down there. It ended up becoming the battery tunnel, but uh, he was um, absolutely steadfast in wanting to destroy it. And the only reason that it did not get destroyed is because uh, the the dandies. The people with money yes. essentially oh, yeah. stepped in and made it stop, and it eventually got registered as a national historical monument. I think by Truman. So it was like it was, but it was one of those things where he literally had bulldozers waiting outside of it, ready to destroy it, almost for spite at a certain point, and it only stopped because like Eleanor Roosevelt was like, no. Yeah, dude, <laughs> Robert Moses was horny to build a five, like a four to ten lane highway, um, through uh, Washington Square Park. 
Yeah. 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 You know, he yeah. was like, let's just destroy these village and make this a, 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 a big rig highway to get uh, products through Manhattan. Yeah, the Lower Manhattan Highway. That was a big thing that he tried to do. There was going to be a Midtown Manhattan thing, too. He wanted to ramp something, something through 31st Street. And the only reason it didn't happen is because somebody was like, oh, well, we actually wanted to be on this street. And then he was just like, well, then I won't do it at all. And, like, literally, that's that's the reason there's not a giant highway in, right in the middle of Manhattan. One thing that I think about a lot is, like, what our development is going to look like in the 21st century and how we it will be, by necessity, a high-consumption, uh, like, means of development. We, we will not... Like the, we we will not have transportation systems that they will be maybe low carbon, but they will be intensive mm-hmm. in other forms of production because capitalism uh, is has a planned obsolescence in its production. You need to make more products all the time because you need to keep making money. They're not just yes. going to like reinstate the trolley cart and just make a really dope trolley cart with like recycled materials. Uh, because that wouldn't turn a profit. So there will always be a, a form of cultural development or a form of economic development that uh, will be incredibly destructive to the environment, to culture, and to people's lives uh, as long as capitalism is guiding development. Because ultimately, even if it's green development, even if this iron mm-hmm. is used to build new electric cars or low carbon airplanes or things like that it will always impede in uh have some sort of destruction in order to be able to do that yeah it's extractive it's extractive yeah you know? because that's not because it's not the point of it is not to help people the point of it is to dovetail making money with coincidentally helping some people right it, it, it's it, yes the profit yes. the profit motive just happens to overlap with creating a low carbon future. I mean, that, that's me assuming that this iron ore, these copper mine in Mongolia is actually going towards renewable energy or anything like that. Uh, but that sort of stuff, even if it is going to create a new electric car, like lithium in Bolivia is another great example. We've talked about that before. The lithium oh, yeah. in Bolivia, this is something that is harming indigenous lands. It's expropriating wealth from... Bolivia and northern Chile, uh, and it, it's really uh, exposing it to a lot of potential uh, environmental issues for the people, public health issues, but it's creating electric cars. And the thing is, you don't need electric cars to have a zero-carbon economy necessarily. We could do mm-hmm. economic and you know transit development that does not necessitate electric cars being the center it mean like the central means of transportation in this country exactly uh, because electric cars also um will continue to contribute to the culture that is urban sprawl right and the suburbs yes it is it's all yes. about reimagining um the use of space think of the, the way that robert moses thought of reimagining space robert moses fundamentally reimagined the spatial elements of new york city over the course of his oh, yes. 40 years he turned you know, slums into NYCHA. He turned, uh, he built, uh, you know, waterways and turned those into under underground, underwater freeways. He demolished entire neighborhoods to build highways. I mean, this man completely had a different spatial awareness, and he did it through a municipal, unelected position. I mean, yes. If you're thinking about what 21st century economic sustainable development could be. You need to think in those terms because the enemy does too. Yeah, it's um, you have to think of uh, and, and like principally, you know, I think this thought has tr- dissipated a little bit, but you have to go from um, recreation to conservation because I think we ultimately still think of these things in a recreational space. Like around the turn of the 20th century, you had a couple fucking weirdos like Teddy Roosevelt or whatever, who, even though he was like shooting rhinos in Africa, were like, we need to prefer- we need to preserve 
the right. great spaces, et cetera, et cetera. But then in the middle of the 20th century, you had the Moses types who were like, I will preserve this space by turning it into a tennis court. And <laughs> we're still sort of in that space, that head space in the 21st century. You know, we, we've kind of gotten, we're turning a little bit closer to it. But it's getting perverted by people like Elon Musk who are like, oh, I'm going to make the California Camry uh, and have that be Tesla's Model 3. And it's like, no, that's still that's still just extractive. You have to it's like we have to actually think of what the land is and, and, and what it is on its own and not as a commodity, because even though you can't put a number on it, uh, you know, it, it, it is valuable onto itself. Right. And this is a lot of like big language that we're talking about, but this is like the very they're very concrete, simple solutions, right? Like more density, more affordable housing, more transit. These are not like like more like high like high speed mass transit, more biking, like bicycles, right? Like these are not very esoteric or ethereal concepts. This is just how basically urban development would have continued had car culture not completely overwhelmed smushed it and smushed yeah. the united states urban developments right it's um and now we live in i've also been speaking with some folks about this uh who think about just like how the suburbs creates its own political culture as well and yeah um you know we're, we're dealing with the consequences of, of that sort of stuff right now and i don't know it, it's you when you think about all of these sorts of big conceptions, big concepts related to urban development and economic development in the 21st century, uh, you know, we always have to go back to the source itself. And at the source itself is extractive policies uh, like Rio mm -hmm. Tinto, uh, you know, and Elon Musk tweeting, we will coup Bolivia if we, if we want to or whatever. Uh, <laughs> did you guys see that tweet, by the way? Elon Musk, like someone said... We caused a coup in Bolivia, and then Elon Musk replied, "We will coup whoever we want." Uh, no, but that <laughs> sounds like him. <laughs> Basically, just admitting to the OAS supporting this coup for uh, his own development. Um, I don't know. Uh, anything else on this before we move on? No. Okay. Uh, so, want to look uh, next at uh, one of our favorite boys. One of the one of the best one of the best uh, fraud fraudsters in the game, love these dudes. Really respect their work. Uh, they've been big, putting out hard, uh, just like some cool shit. Big pyramid. Yeah, they got they got a whole culture. They got uh, all over the world. They uh, have like a really vapid, you know, health benefits section. I'm talking, of course, we all know them. We all love them. We all drink them. That's Herbal right, life, baby. We're talking about that's Herbal right. Life. Okay. That's right. So, do you want a do you want a chalky milkshake that is going to destroy your liver? Ooh, Herbalife. <laughs> uh, I think that you took that directly from their marketing. Yeah, yeah, I stole their copy. Yeah. I apologize <laughs> to them. Uh, so Herbalife uh was in the news uh this past month. Uh, they were they settled uh with a few different. American regulators, including the SEC, uh, for one hundred and twenty-three million dollars. Woo! Not all right. Not nothing. Not a nothing amount of money for uh, for bribing government officials in China and falsifying its books and records to cover that up, which is uh, a violation of the U.S. Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. Uh, so they uh, Herbalife operates in China. Uh, and they were basically, so fun thing about China is they have banned multi-level marketing. All right. Oh, wow. Okay. Sounds like Mao did, Mao did one good thing. One. Yeah, <laughs> he did it. He made the stop signs go upside down, which I'm cool with. Red means go. And he, uh, banned any, someone banned multi-level marketing scheme. So you can, so Herbalife can still operate in china but they cannot do the core elements of multi-level marketing uh that are that basically make it its unique and uniquely exploitative business model right so yes. you can't they are not allowed to 
if you sell Herbalife products to someone, right, you know, this business starter kit, you cannot uh, reap commissions from their future sales. That practice is banned. Yeah. And that is the essence yeah. of multi-level marketing, right, mm -hmm. is that mm -hmm. the person above you who sold you the product initially would treat you not like an employee but like a customer and would continue to extract money from your efforts as well. Um, and so that practice is banned in China. They can get some sort of nominal bonus, but that's it. And they also can't front load supply uh, in these starter packs just at egregious amounts to essentially indebt uh, the uh, to, to indebt the the customer slash salesperson. So, so it reminds me of the Sopranos in a lot of ways, the pyramid scheme, because it's like, you know, Polly has to kick money up to Tony, but then Christopher's got to mm -hmm. kick money up to Polly and to Tony. Yes. So the further down you are, it's like you're you're just kicking a lot of your you're not making that much and you're always kicking something up to the person that put you on. Right. Yes. Yes, the the key thing to always and look, I'll tell I'll tell the listeners right now, me, Danny, I didn't really understand what a pyramid scheme was for a really long time, but you know, all you got to remember, it's right there. It's the pyramid. If you're on the top of the pyramid, that's what that's the good place. But if you're on the bottom of the pyramid, that fucking sucks. And that's where most of the people are on that. Absolutely. Uh, it actually, I actually did a little bit of research into Herbalife, uh, specifically in regards to like how much money people make and uh, the actual <laughs> the amount of money that you make, uh, like uh, trying to make money if you're um, on, on that bottom rung. It's uh it's really, really low. Like, um, to the point where that the people here's that screenshot that I got. Yeah. So like, yeah, it's basically like the average payments from Herbalife, um, if you are above two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So like we're talking like the people who make, you know, they're the very, very top and they're the ones where they're in the commercials and stuff like that. The number of people who are in that little area is less than two hundred. Wow. Now the people who make less than a thousand dollars, that's forty thousand people. And then the people who make zero dollars, that's twenty-five thousand people. So the the people who make zero dollars is almost equal to the people who make a thousand dollars. Holy shit. Yeah, and it just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, basically to the point that like uh only 17% of the people who invest in it actually make money off of it. And these people are considered employees, right? Like the thing is, is like it's, you would say it's like the mob, uh, but at least if you're a capo in the mob, they're protecting you. You get benefits from it. They will, yeah. you get meal, you get some sort of salary in exchange for it. Like you do your work and you kick up all your earnings back up to the boss, but then he'll redistribute it and provide additional benefits as well on top of that. Um, so they don't... Yeah, you... Yeah. Th there's there's at least some employee benefits uh, in, in, in a mob situation as far yeah, as Yeah, you get tell. to hang out at the clubhouse. Uh, yeah. You get meals <laughs> comped every once in a while from, like, the, the yeah. local deli. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get a, you get a nice Christmas ham. Uh, you're... You might get a, a really nice suitcase to bury a body in whenever you need to do that. Uh, yeah. You get to you, you get to touch butts of strippers. You know, there's no bada bing at Herbalife. No, just no, no. On, solely bada boom. This, that's all. That's More all that like happens. More like bada bust for most people. There we go. That's right. That's go. right. Yeah. There we yeah. go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So uh, yeah, Herbalife, uh, they're they're at it again, man. They they are constantly getting in trouble. And so the thing is that they uh, China represents about twenty percent of Herbalife's uh, glo global annual net sales, despite the fact that hmm. their core uh, business practice, right, of just scamming the people 
and the bottom rungs of anyone below you of actually like the pyramid is is flattened in China. It still comprises 20% of their global sales in 2016 at least. Uh, and that's 860 million dollars. So it, so so the Chinese people they're not they're not selling it to each other. They just kind of like bad shakes. Like they're just they're just they're just drinking bad shakes. <laughs> no, you can sell, like Herbalife just operates like any other business. Like that business model is just illegal. Like you can sell things person to person, um, like you could with um, what's the name of that uh, makeup line? Avon, you know, like the Avon saleswoman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So yeah. like, Herb- like, uh, t- go on. Herbalife operates like that. And so- what? Why? Why it's bad though is uh, if you're if. Let's say I am a multi-level marketing affiliate, and and I say, "Hey, mm-hmm. Danny, do you like the, the shake I'm drinking right now?" And you go, "I'd love to buy some oh, shakes from you." I'd say, "Danny, you can of course buy a shake from me, but what would be even better is if you sign up as an affiliate. In which case, yes, you get yes. shakes at a discount, and you get tons of money if you sign up a couple other people. And here's what's crazy, Danny." Is once you sign up four more people, I get paid, and isn't that great? We all get paid, it's, so yeah. no one actually ever buys the products retail. No one is actually buying the shake to enjoy it themselves. You're constantly kicking the shake down further down the line, and right. yeah, they yeah. they disincentivize me actually just being like a bodega, a, a one man bodega selling shakes. I'm right. selling the 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 dream that you can sell shakes and give me money right yeah it sounds it sounds like in china they're just like the girl scouts where it's just sort of like yeah they they're the only ones who have access to the shakes now but they don't get they don't benefit off of other people selling them that's exactly right so there was so uh, yeah in in, in 2005 the chinese government so basically once um you know the china uh the chinese economy neoliberalized in the 80s uh Basically, there was an initial boon in multi-level marketing, but in 2005, the government just banned it as an unfair practice. Uh, and they, all multi-level marketing and pyramid schemes had to adapt to this new environment. And they're still making money because, like you said, it's just a different product. Like, that is, I think, what's so frustrating about it. And this comes up a lot in other areas is, like, well, if you banned this practice, then you would be hurting consumer choice who might want that practice. Uh, or you might be, you're harming innovation of this innovative new business model. <laughs> or you're uh, harming, you know, this creativity of allowing me for these sorts of things. But it's like creativity to exploit, consumers <laughs> wanting to be raked over. Like this is not an actual choice. No one wants these things they are getting jilted they're getting they're, they're getting bamboozled whereas and and the products themselves aren't bad uh it, it's this no idea wh- when when these when china um cuts down on these more like uh predatory practices then herbalife just becomes any like any other supplement yeah yeah it's yeah. just instead of being sold in a store it's being sold by a person. So yeah, exactly. there's no problem with that. It, it's the underlying exploitative nature of it that is more key in the U.S. with all of these uh, MLMs. Yeah. Yes. With, with the caveat, <laughs> with the caveat that Herbalife does have a real nasty habit of actually putting toxic things <laughs> into their products. Really? Uh, like, no, yeah, I'm not even joking. They have like a, they have a history of, um, um, uh, basically products that have uh, caused um, certain types of like liver problems and, and what have you. But that's also kind of just associated with like the diet industry at large because turns out when you're just kind of feeding people uppers and stuff, it's not good for their health. <laughs> also, the FDA does not doesn't regulate uh, supplements that's in right. the same way it yeah. regulates medicine. And yeah. and uh, and Herbalife and these MLMs, as bad as they are, are not um, unique because you'll look at companies like Johnson and Johnson yes. that uh, just like love putting uh, cancer in their talcum powder. 
and not telling people about yes. it for decades and decades. Or just yeah. never, you know, cool stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, it, the the funniest part about Herbalife is they are called that because the guy who came up with it literally just thought herbs were healthy. Hell yeah, dude! I like oh, bitter that's herbs. Fucking awesome. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He, the, bitter the guy bitter herbal life is uh, just somebody that like <laughs> uh, just Passovers every day. <laughs> it's like there's like or the, there's like the magic herbal life, and it's just like a like a white high school stoner who is just smoking weed all the time. It's like it's like it gives you life, man. It gives you life. Yeah, it's a magic herb. Yeah, dude. Dude, Mark Hughes, the founder of Herbal Life, is absolute uh, absolute king. He died at like the age of forty because he mixed too much antidepressants and alcohol um but before that it's it's because he he started Herbalife and like basically marketed it marketed it because uh through his dead mom like his mom died of dieting supplements essentially and uh he was like if my mom could have had Herbalife maybe she'd still be here today and it's like god you're crazy man (laughs) he's an absolute psycho or was an absolute psycho that's insane. Yeah. Um. The uh, like uh. So yeah. So one last thing on China is uh at, on top of uh, Herbalife having these like or you know multi level marketing scams being restricted. Uh, capitalism is still moving into China in other ways. Recently, BlackRock, the largest world's largest asset manager, is uh, got oh, yeah. Chinese regulatory approval to set up uh, mutual funds in China. So as the Chinese middle class grows, in the 90s, they were being, uh, you know, nickel and dimed or being screwed over directly with these multi-level marketing schemes. Now they will be getting new mutual funds, basically. So now now the average Chinese citizen is going to have 401ks or the equivalent thereof. And I'm sure that the Chinese government is going to be way, way more stringent about these things based off of the way that they are regulating multi-level marketing schemes uh, very likely. They will also have much, much more investor protective rules and laws uh, in their mutual funds than we get in the United States, uh, which is great, which is great for us. It feels cool to just bring over shitty things to other countries and the other countries be better about it and, uh, than Americans. Totally. But, dude, I get to ride my Harley wherever I want, barefoot. Yeah. yeah. So, and yeah. you can't do that in China. <laughs> Yeah, man. Yeah. It is. Yeah. yeah on it, <laughs> honestly, honestly, if we're being completely honest, and I think this is a pretty good guess, uh, it, you know, that iron ore that got extracted from Australia is probably going to go to China to make buildings oh, yeah. for Chinese people that can then accelerate, uh, you know, the myriad of environmental hazards and shit that happens there while they sell Herbalife to each other, but not so other people can sell it. Like, just as a product. It's so fuck. It gets... the cap- Capitalism, it just gets so mishmashed up. It turns into something else. Have you guys ever been to a fast food restaurant in other countries and just been so depressed by how no. much better it is? I want to. <laughs> it is I so, want to so bad. much better. Like, I went to... Um, like, I went to a Pizza Hut in India, and it is like high class it is like great pizza complicated flavors like you go there on a first date if you want to impress somebody (laughs) i shit you not really a lot of dates at pizza hut man yeah man oh well it's going to a foreign it's going to a fancy foreign restaurant yeah dude that makes oh my god this makes so much sense because whenever i deliver uber eats i am always delivering these shitty like fucking fast food options to like Kent Avenue, like really high class areas of Williamsburg. And it's always foreign people. And I'm like, why do you want this? And it's like, it's cause it's better over there. <laughs> yeah. The ingredients are better there. The like, right. Like regulate, like food regulations are much more stringent in other countries. All of uh, like these American products are, we are like the beta test basically for American capitalism. Like the American oh my God. public is just be- we beta test we beta test all these disgusting, exploitative, egregious products, and then they export them to the rest of the world where they are more stringent, 
more refined, more protective of everyone else except for us. Oh, my God. We're all just like those test cities where they get weird fast food. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. the U.S. gets the McRibs first. Uh, we yeah. get we get we get the beta McRib, and there they well, get I'm, there, there <laughs> they get the McSirloin. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's great. Uh, I feel I feel like that's a that's that's a good place to end, right? There. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. feeling solid. I'm feeling really good about myself. I'm just gonna go get some lunch. Uh, yeah, maybe get an herbal supplement to accompany that. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, I guess uh, any any last thoughts, guys? Uh, Just, yeah. Hey, everybody, tune in to uh, Funhouse Comedy uh, every Wednesday on Zoom at 9.30 p.m. That's what I that's do right. when I'm not on Ponzi screen with you boys. Uh, yes. Yes. And like, listen, and subscribe to us. We are working on updating Patreon content, uh, and we, 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 we love you guys. We want you to, to subscribe. Danny, did, you, did I interrupt you? Oh no! Um, you know you'll see me in the streets. Uh, you can. <laughs> you'll see me in the streets, yeah, baby. probably with some pre- very terrible food that I'm delivering to somebody. Hell yeah, bro! <laughs> it's gonna is gonna be great. All right, well, that's uh, right. We'll keep on rocking, boys, and uh, everyone else out there listening. Uh, good night. Good night. Bye, friends. Yes.